Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, joined by a guest today. He is national writer for the Washington Post and uh, also an elite podcaster in the NBA game. Ben Gulliver, thanks for taking the time to join me today. And congratulations on the new show, by the way. I know Frank uh, was giving it a, a fair plug uh, last week or when, whenever you first announced it. But that's uh, exciting. I know a lot of people are excited to have you and Andrew back together. Kane, you got to be careful because if you're going to let me plug stuff, I might never stop. Okay. The show is called Greatest of All Talk. I'm doing it with Andrew Sharp. <laughs> uh, we're having a lot of fun with it, man. It's subscription only. I like to refer to it. It's sort of like the mullet podcast, right? So I have open floor on it with SI, which is open to everybody. It's free. That's sort of like the business up front. And I think the Greatest of All Talk podcast, it's kind of like the party in the back. You know, we have a really good time. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we're doling out life advice about stuff like vasectomies, which we really know nothing about. Um, and we're having a, a real good time interacting with the, re, uh, the listeners. So if anyone wants to check it out, it's just greatestofalltalk.com. Yeah, well, you noticed that I didn't actually mention the name of the podcast because I might have the old lock man after me if I mentioned an, a rival uh, podcast with that name, he might get uh, a little bit uh, offended by that. But let's let's get let's get straight into the buck stuff. So, thirty nine and six, as we know. Now, I when me and Frank spoke at the start of the year, and we were looking at the over and under, we had an over and under episode, and I took the under, and I think at the time it was around fifty seven and a half wins, fifty eight and a half, and I went under because I thought that the Bucks were going to try some different things during the season. I thought maybe. Um, some guys like you know Giannis in particular may actually just miss entire games more often than he has so far to this point if they were to get to 55 wins right now they would have to finish the season 16 and 21 which is just absolutely absurd with the when you look at the pace this team's at 70 win pace is there anything in particular or a few things in particular when you're watching this Bucks team that you're like wow I really did not expect this or or I'm really surprised that this is happening well, so I picked them to make the finals this year, but I was, I think I was on the under as well. I just figured like 60, yeah. that's a big number, natural <laughs> regression. Giannis has an MVP season. Like you could just talk yourself into it, you know, kind of just regressing a little bit. Right. Uh, did I think that they were going to top their over under by like March 1st? No, uh, that would be considered <laughs> a surprise for sure. Um, I love everything about this group, man. Uh, they remind me of a couple of my favorite teams go back to the 2014 Spurs, you know, that's not a team necessarily that we would call like a big three of superstars, right? Like it was Tim Duncan, still his team. Kawhi wasn't really quite there yet. Tony was injured. I mean, he had a great season, but uh, maybe, you know, even in the playoffs, he's not like that traditional number two guy. And Manu was just very kind of like up and down. I mean, his, his highs were so high, but sometimes his lows were pretty ugly. So it wasn't what we've kind of, you know, conceived of as this modern super team, yet they go in there you know, wax everybody in the playoffs, including Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And then they wax, uh, you know, Miami Heat, big three in the finals, right? So there's this finals blueprint uh, of team construction that actually is pretty comparable to me to what uh, Milwaukee's got going on. 
What I love about them, it's the consistency of effort. It is uh, the team vibe, no drama, no BS. It is the the fits just up and down the roster. Uh, you know, if you want to call it role definition, if you want to call it buy-in, uh, unselfish personalities, veterans who are over themselves, a couple of hungry uh, young guys mixed in as well. But the mesh is great. And then obviously what I like about them is that Giannis doesn't settle. He just gets better every single season. This year has been just insane. I mean, I knew he would be better than last year because that's like the easiest <laughs> thing to bet on ever. But when you're actually seeing the permanent numbers and just how easily he destroys bad teams and even the flashes of anger when things don't go well, when he's kicking a, a, you know, a wall in Oklahoma City or he's punching his fist on Christmas, it gives me goosebumps, man. I mean, this guy is just super, super special uh, from the mental makeup standpoint as well as the physical standpoint. So uh, I like it all. I mean, when you're starting to add up these numbers, it's crazy. I mean, 60 and 22 last year. They're like 39 and 6 this year. They were 10 and 1 in the playoffs before the, the collapse against the Toronto Raptors. That's an insane winning percentage over a two-year period. And so I think a lot of people nationally will focus on that one bad week and use that. Uh, you know, against Toronto and use that as kind of like the defining prism to look at this group. Oh, maybe they're not quite ready for the playoffs and everything else. But they have a two-year track record of obscenely dominant basketball, winning games after games after games against all the top competition. And so to me, I'm putting a lot of faith in that. And I'm feeling really good about my pick for them to make the finals. So that's interesting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead to something here that I had that I, w- I wanted to mention. So you sort of touched on the experience. And, and I mean, I've said this repeatedly, and I think this is a, a pretty common thought that until the Bucks win the finals, then they're going to be doubted. And it, it doesn't really matter what they do beforehand, how dominant they are this regular season. There's going to be this overwhelming wave of people that are saying, well, sure. But, uh, you know, we watched the conference finals last year, which maybe was a lot of, for a lot of people, the, the most Milwaukee Bucks basketball they watched all season. They see them lose four games in a row. Uh, they see that they, they don't shoot well from three and they're going to question that until they take that next step this season. So what do you think experience actually means for this team? Because I know when we, were, we went to exit interviews the next day, the, the uh, overwhelming theme from the players was, well, we, we've learned a lot already and we hadn't been in that situation before. And they've got a lot of veteran players on this roster. And I think it's, it's sort of underrated how, or the, the age demographic of this team is, is a lot older than most people think. But uh, the experience and in terms of winning the championship is not there. They don't have that. But they went through that first run. They got through the first round for the first time and then were, were storming towards the NBA finals and potentially a championship. They stumbled. So do you think that having that experience actually means a lot for this team when they get there again? Are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it? Well, MyBookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, and the start of college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with MyBookie. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. That's That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra 1000 bucks in free money to play with. Just use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. 
Oh, for sure it does. I just wish we spent a little bit more time laughing at how he, they humiliated Boston and then a little <laughs> right, bit less, right. a less time on the collapse against Toronto. And they were so close to still winning that Eastern Conference Final Series, right. the double overtime game and everything else. You know, I guess my big picture takeaway on what you, your statement on how they're going to just constantly be doubted, that's true. And the most annoying part about it is if they do win the title this year, the story will flip instantly oh, to say, quickly. oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Had, they had the MVP. They had the best record during the regular season. They had a dominant point differential. They shoot threes. They're a modern team. They're an elite defense. Of course they were going to win the title. All the indicators were there. So, Kane, if all the indicators are there now, let's look in and trust the indicators, right? These guys are the real deal. So um, that, that's just kind of like my general uh, philosophy towards like discussion about the Milwaukee Bucks. I think people go back to the same old tropes, the Brogdon trade, which I understand that being annoying, the collapse against uh, Toronto, which definitely had happened, but it required, you know, arguably the best player in the league, Kawhi Leonard, playing at his career peak levels and sustaining that for an entire series. Um, And it required some, you know, cracks on Milwaukee side too. You know, some of those guys like falling to bits a little bit uh, late in that series. And it also required coach Bud not playing Giannis as many minutes as he should. And I'll be honest, I kind of embarrassed myself a little bit earlier this year when John Horst was in LA. I went up to him and I was like, look, John, I mean, we got to, we got to figure this minutes thing out during the playoffs. (laughs) Like here's how many Mike played when he was Giannis's age. We know how good Giannis is. And to his credit, John Horst brushed off my, you know, ranting and was like, you know, those are coaching decisions. We trust coach Bud and I understand why they do. But I think that all this resting that's been going on during the regular season uh, for Milwaukee, I'm hoping that that pays off with like 46 minutes per game for Giannis in the playoffs because it would be the best story if he just flips everything around, just goes on uh, postseason tear for the ages. I mean, he wouldn't even need to play that many minutes in the first round and probably not the second round either. But if he just like completely dominates, like never leaves the court in Eastern Conference in the finals and winds up winning his first title that way, it would be like the most Jordan-esque story we've seen in the NBA. And honestly, this is just fan fiction at this point. So hopefully I'm among friends here with, with UK, but that's uh, kind of what I'm hoping happens. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a popular take. And I, uh, you know, the number that I always point to when you just touched on it, uh, particularly in the conference finals, that series was a lot closer than what people I think remember. Uh, and when you look at the numbers, Giannis played 17 minutes, uh, 17 fewer minutes than Kawhi. Uh, that was pretty catastrophic for the Bucks, and and the numbers went quiet off the court weren't good for Toronto either. And so those two being the star players, it was such a dramatic swing when they're off the floor. That really meant something. Uh, something I've brought up with, with Frank uh, several times is just looking at the the minutes per game that you touched on. Giannis just over thirty. Uh, Middleton, Lopez, Bledsoe, really not even close to thirty minutes per game. The only thing I, I question with that is, okay, well, are you able to ramp that up? Because as you said, I don't think that they're going to need to in the first round. Maybe they won't need to in the second round. So when you get to the conference finals, are you actually able to say, okay, let's play 40 to 45 minutes? And then with Giannis, the other point is that, that he's, he's had foul trouble. I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality with that. The other thing I want to bring up and see whether you have any concerns with this. Now, clearly it's a good thing for the regular season because the Bucs are just destroying everyone in front of them. You look at the clutch minutes for teams uh, that teams have played this season. It is ridiculous. Uh, the the Bucks have played the the least amount of clutch minutes in the league by so far. It's not even funny. Now that is a good thing because that means that you're locking up games before 
uh, before they, they need to get to that point. But do you think that they really need to even uh, have that experience of, of running sets? Because the Bucks haven't been exactly a great team in, in situations where they need to get a good look uh, to win a game or get a clutch bucket. That's a great question. I want to double back, though, real quick first on what you were saying about, uh, you know, the minutes and are these guys going to be yeah. ready and everything else. Um, one, and this is just pure basketball philosophy, but one lesson I took from the Spurs, the 2013 Spurs, the team that lost in the finals uh, to the Miami Heat, you've got to let your best players win or lose with the season on the line, period. Yeah. There's no way around it. Popovich taking Duncan off the court so he can't get the rebound. To me, it's unforgivable. Um, and then Kawhi being in that situation, he misses the free throws, you know, in that game as well. So I always say that Tim Duncan won the 2013 finals and Greg Popovich and Kawhi Leonard lost the 2013 finals. So if we're really stacking up like, you know, Duncan versus Kobe, like, let's make sure we give him that love. Right. Um, but that applies to Milwaukee. If the Bucks go out this year, they better go out with Giannis's gun yeah. smoking and empty. Right. I mean, there can be no second guessing that deep in the playoffs about, okay, um, you know, what about those minutes when Giannis wasn't on the court? There shouldn't be any minutes when Giannis is off the court uh, if they get to that point of the series. And I hope they make those adjustments. I hope there's the flexibility from the coaching staff on that one. To me, it would be, you know, selling your franchise players short and doing a disservice to your fans if they don't make a serious adjustment on that front. On the topic of clutch minutes, um, yeah, it's a great one. What's more important, leading the league in double-digit victories and 20-point <laughs> blowout wins or being the best clutch team? Uh, you know, to me, I would probably take the former because I would trust that you're executing so well, even against really good teams. And they've, you know, had some great showings against the Lakers and the Clippers this year. You know, the, the, the likely finals uh, opponents where, you know, maybe the clutch time didn't even really factor in there. Um, my biggest concern would be Giannis's free throws. Yeah. Um, and then again, if you're extending his minutes in the playoffs, does fatigue start to show through in those late game situations? What's his decision making look like? Uh, to me, that's not a major uh, major concern, but ultimately, I think those are the factors that you're um, that you're looking at. And the other clutch time thing would be with uh, Bledsoe, right? If if playoff Bledsoe resorts to his worst tendencies and some of his worst past behavior, um, can you coach around it? Can you just bail on him? Do you have the right five-man group that doesn't include him in those late moments uh, from a matchup standpoint to, to guard your opposing team's best players? Those are some like open-ended questions that I would be concerned with or considering. Um, but right now, I would not be agonizing over that. Yeah, so the, the other thing to, to note with that, and again, like it, because they've played uh, far fewer minutes than anyone else, this obviously is a, is a little bit noisy, but the defensive rating in those clutch minutes, 39 minutes, 82. I mean, and this team, <laughs> I mean, as good as they are uh, offensively, you know that the defense is driving this and their rim protection is just insane. And any team that's trying to get in there is not having much fun with Lopez and Giannis. Uh, and you might have already touched on this. You mentioned a couple of things that I think would probably be at the top of the list. So if you are the Bucks, they're so dominant right now. What are you? What are you? What are you really scared of, or what? What's making you concerned about what could happen in the playoffs? And and again, I, I, maybe you just touched on it. Um, I mean, I, I, you you have only a, sh a short list of teams that's going to cause you problems, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that Philadelphia, based on the Christmas Day game and, and based on preseason expectations and how they've crafted their roster to kind of try to keep Giannis out of the paint, 
I mean, that's the, the surest way to beat Milwaukee is, is to wall him away from the basket and force, you know, either lower percentage shots from him or force him to rely more on his supporting cast, right? So which teams are able to do that? I think they have a good chance to do it. I think the Lakers and the Clippers have, you know, potentially have a decent chance to do it. Those are the teams that I would be even concerned with or thinking about if I was Milwaukee. I mean, nobody else truly rates to me. I think they would take care of Toronto and Boston. Those might be fun series. Uh, You know, same deal with Miami, but I just think Giannis wins the matchup game against all those teams pretty handily. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be anyone on those teams tasked with trying to slow him down or stopping him because I think it takes a really, really good, you know, basically five-man scheme with multiple bigs who are uh, smart, intelligent, long, and and quality rim protectors to to slow him down. Um, And then I think from the defensive side, like their numbers are amazing. The guys who you really actually have to worry about are LeBron and Kawhi. And I think that's basically it, right? I mean, I guess Joel Embiid, if if you if he's fully healthy and, and hitting on all cylinders, like those are the matchups that could pose serious problems for you. But otherwise, uh, I think anybody else comes out of the West, Milwaukee's the clear favorite. Uh, and I don't see Houston surviving, so we don't have to worry about James Harden. So I think it's a, a first-world problem if you're yeah. a Bucks fan. If there's basically like three guys in the league who you're actually concerned about and everybody else looks like chopped liver, that's pretty good. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Bucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Milwaukee Bucks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Milwaukee Bucks fans that are well-educated with disposable income then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to double three triple seven, or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get the team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you guys. Yeah, I mean, we, we've spoken about it a lot, but I, I think, you know, as you sort of pointed to the Lakers at, at this point, and, and I want to talk trade deadline a, a little bit later. Uh, and I, I think that if you're the Bucks, maybe the concern is as much with what other teams do as it is what the Bucks do. Uh, we did just have the last couple of days here, Frank and myself, we're, we're talking about All-Star Weekend. I, I think that we've uh, finally got to the point where Chris Middleton is almost universally considered that he's going to be a lock and he's going to be an all-star. I mean, he, he was last year. We've already spoke about the pace that the Bucks are at win-wise and, and he's having, across the board, a better season than he did a year ago, just playing so efficient. With the pace that the Bucks are at, 70 wins, a third all-star you would generally think, if you're thinking about a team winning that many games, would be seem, it would be it would seem perfectly reasonable. I think the only guys that you're really looking at here uh, uh, Lopez and Bledsoe. I don't know. I don't think that they're going to make the All Star team. But do you think that those two guys? And, and you already spoke about Bledsoe. This is for a reason. We know why, and it's, it comes from what's happened in the playoffs. But Brook Lopez, uh, I think, uh, especially defensively, is is overlooked so much around the league uh, for what he's doing for this defense. Do you think that both of those players have got to the point where uh, they're 
kind of underrated around the league for the impact they're having in this system, in this team, uh, and the success that they're having. Yeah, I think you can make that argument. I mean, first thing on Middleton, look, the coaches shouldn't get to vote if they don't vote Middleton right, in, right? right like, right. come on. Like, this guy is definitely an all-star, two-way performer on an incredibly elite team, does it the right way, very coachable, never had an off-court incident in his entire life. I mean, everything the coaches vote should be about should be about Chris Middleton. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I'll admit I overlooked both Lopez and Bledsoe when I was uh, crafting my all-star rosters. I didn't have a yeah. spot for them. I thought Bledsoe should have made it last year over D'Angelo Russell, and I thought that was a, a, basically a travesty. Um, you know, it was an injury replacement, so I'm being a little bit, you know, uh, hyperbolic here. It wasn't that big of a deal. But to me, I mean, there was no contest who I'd rather have, you know, in, in terms of contributing to winning at this time last year, I would rather have Bledsoe over Russell. It's tough this year, man. There's a good crop of all-stars, yeah. especially front court guys in the Eastern Conference. And I think Milwaukee's going to have to settle for two. Um, I think the only team that really has a chance to get three is Boston, just because of the balance of their offense with Kemba, Jalen, and Jason. I expect all three of those guys to make it. Uh, I picked all three of those guys to make it. But otherwise, I think it's going to be kind of two by two for the other contenders in the East. Yeah, I can buy that. We we I, and I I also don't think that uh, the Bucks are going to get a third All Star. It just sort of when I was really looking at it and 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 picking my All Stars and who I thought was going to make it, and I had a bunch of guys that were on the bubble, and and you know Brogdon was one of those guys. I think he's missed too many games now anyway, so I don't think he's a chance to get in. I don't think the Pacers have two All Stars, and if they have one, it's probably going to be Sabonis at this point. It, it better be Sabonis, man. right? That's, right. that's the one guy I feel really strongly about. Like it's crazy his dad never made it because he came over so late. I'm from Portland originally, and he's like a local legend up there because uh, you know he he finally made it to the Blazers. It was such a fun, entertaining player to watch, but. It's, it would be cool if Domanis uh, made it. And I also think it would be just really cool for the NBA if they brought Arvidas there, you know, had Domanis yeah. give him the jersey. I mean, let's, let's like – I'm giving them free PR here. You know what I mean? But I think that would just be such a win. <laughs> and he better make that team. And I think I will admit, uh, I will concede that I think part of me, uh, not even pressing for, for Bledsoe to be an all-star, but just pressing for him to be in the conversation for those bubble guys is because uh, I think the conversation has become so negative around him over the last year or two. And even in relation to the Bucks and what's going to happen, it's like every time he does something good, people are like, yeah, sure, but uh, we'll see uh, what happens in the postseason. And this year, I mean, he's another guy. He's only playing 26 minutes. But he's, he's been pretty efficient, shooting 35% from three. Um, that's been a big improvement for him again. Uh, he's going to have to prove it in the playoffs. But uh, I think that, you know, last year, as you mentioned, probably uh, pretty unlucky not to be an all-star first team all defense. Uh, George Hill has been incredible off the bench. But Bledsoe, again, uh, I think he's, he's very, very important for this team. And I think that is somewhat uh, overlooked. No, I, I think it's true. I mean, I... You know, you were mentioning earlier, like, people are always going to doubt the Bucks. I agree with that. I think people are just always going to doubt him, you yeah. know. And unfortunately, some of the doubt comes from his own honesty, right? I mean, I, he was really open and, and forthright about his anxiety issues, the stress going into the playoffs and all that. I commend him for that. I think it's so cool that, uh, you know, this mental health movement in the NBA that, you know, Kevin Love and DeMar Rosen get a lot of credit for. But when guys – like Bledsoe put such a fine point on it and they say like hey like I'm going to this game and it's freaking me out and like it's a big deal that takes a lot of guts and a lot of bravery to openly admit that and I actually give Kyrie Irving a guy who I'm usually pretty hard on in general a lot of credit for how he handled the grief issue you know talking about his grandfather the death of his grandfather 
the effect that it had upon his focus and his willingness to kind of buy into a team culture and his availability to his teammates and everything else. Admitting that you're not there for your teammates is very, very hard for a professional player to do, especially a star, especially a guy in a leadership role under a huge microscope like Kyrie. And so I give him big credit for that too. But I think unfortunately some of the criticism or the, you know, the, the changing perception of a, a guy like Eric Bledsoe, it's earned. You know what I mean? Like we know why, uh, we know what the, the, the cause is. He's told us and we know what the effect is. We've watched it with our own eyes. And unfortunately uh, it, it hasn't been pretty in some big moments. And the only payoff that you can say is like, people used to say this about Kyle Lowry constantly. This guy threw up brick after brick after brick for like six straight playoffs, right? And he gets this incredibly satisfying championship moment for himself uh, last year in the playoffs with the, the title run for Toronto. And Eric Bledsoe would, will be able to feel Kyle Lowry's pain and also feel his joy if Milwaukee is able to get over the hump. Yeah, and and you know this as 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 everyone knows that the reason why it's so uh, sort of incredible that he would come out and say that is because it's not necessarily going to get better until he does perform and plays well and plays to that usual standards. That's why people don't do it because you're putting 100%. that spotlight on yourself. So um, yeah, you're making yourself a target because you're you know you're showing weakness, and that's what you know professional athletes never want to show weakness, right. and he absolutely did and. You know, if I read my opponent saying that he freaked out before games or, you know, if I was watching DeMar DeRozan in the playoffs for five straight years and he comes out and says, yeah, man, like, like I have a hard time with pressure, I'd be like, yeah, you do. And I'm going right at you. I mean, it, it's it's a ruthless cutthroat type of business. And, um, you know, that's why I say he deserves credit for speaking up. And uh, I, I do think talking could help about it, frankly. You know, I, I'm not sure what you have to gain by holding it in. Uh, you know, the, the macho stuff is is clearly not working to this point. So maybe talking about it will make him feel freer and maybe it will have uh, some positive repercussions. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Let's go to trade deadline. Now it's interesting. I mean, you think uh, back to 12 months ago, I, the bucks obviously make their, what they, what they hope is going to be the trade that, that moves the needle enough to, to win them a championship with, with Nico Miritich. Tobias Harris goes to the sixes, Marcus Gasol to the Raptors. I'm not sure whether I see that amount of, of sort of major trades happening this trade deadline, but if you're the Bucks, are you looking at this roster and saying, okay, well, this is, this is what they need to do. And keeping in mind, I think the thing that's been overlooked a little bit with the whole Brogdon stuff is the fact they do have the Pacers first rounder. Uh, maybe that's something they can attach to a couple of interesting young guys have got that aren't playing DJ Wilson, Sterling Brown. I'm not too sure. Are you seeing any moves for the Bucks? And then the second part of that is, would you be more concerned, considering how well things are going, that one of the, the rivals or, or other contenders makes a move that, that brings them closer to the Bucks level right now? Well, there's going to be some moves because Iguodala is still floating out there. Covington's yeah. name has been popping up, right? And so I think, you know, you've got teams. Houston could use one of those guys desperately. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do it or, or they're going to be able to willing to pay for it. Uh, the Lakers and Clippers are going to be in the mix on players like that or Marcus Morris. I could see the Clippers trying to get a player like Tristan Thompson. So they have a, another center option who would be a little bit more effective in switching on to Giannis, like in a potential finals preview. I think that they might be a little nervous if Montrez Harrell is their only defensive five they can really use. Cause I, I don't think Zubak, I mean, that's, that's tough for him to be covering ground against Lopez, stretching the court and everything else. I think they might want to get a little bit more mobile. 
at that five spot. So I could see them exploring that. If I was Milwaukee, though, I would be saying, oh, all of our competitors want Robert Covington and Andre Iguodala. Maybe we should try to go get them so that they don't get them and also because they're valuable players and could help us. And so my dream scenario for Milwaukee is basically using, uh, you know, their only like sizable, you know, really tradable contract with Ilyasova, packaging him with whatever picks like you mentioned or, or maybe a young piece and trying to construct, even if you have to overpay a little bit to get a guy like Covington, I think it would be worth it, man. That could be a sick squad if they had him in there. I mean, talk about adding this, like, you know, lifelong career 3 and D elite, like, plus-minus type player to the league's best defense. I mean, I'm salivating over here. Yeah, so Covington is interesting. Uh, clearly, I, I think when you project forward and the potential matchups they might have, and, and we're going way ahead here, but if they do make the finals and it's one of the LA teams, that's who you're going to need because it's, it's not the guards. It's LeBron, it's, it's Anthony Davis, it's Kawhi Leonard. Uh, so I think Covington certainly, but my big thing with that is it's like, well, yeah, the Bucks do have Ilya Sova. They have this late sort of first round, but is, is that really enticing enough for the Wolves to go, yeah, sure, we'll trade this guy in a decent contract with, with years to spare. But Iguodala, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've been saying that a lot and I, I Milwaukee has not been mentioned in, in any Iguodala trade talks, but I, I'm doing that. I mean, this is the year for the Bucks. Like with, with what's coming up this summer, we know, we know about that. If they can go and get Iggy, a guy that you can throw on LeBron, you can throw on Kawhi Leonard in, in, in situations. The guy that's going to come off the bench and bring that defensive uh, presence to the team, a guy that's hit big shots. I'm trading that first-round pick, and I'm probably paying overs even to get him. Kane, I hate being this guy, but look, I think you know league sources tell me the price for Covington is like two first-round picks. That's basically what they want. So I think if you're a Milwaukee, would you do it? Well, yes. I mean, if you can get him, then I, I'm doing it. I'm just yeah. not sure whether they can. Well, I think if if the price is two first round picks, and that's supposedly kind of what people are saying on Covington. Yeah. Um, I'm Milwaukee. I do it, man. I don't think twice about that. And that'd be a great investment of the Brogdon pick. And if you can turn back around and be like, look, we have backcourt cover for Brogdon, and the pick that we got in the Brogdon trade turned into a more useful yeah. player because Brogdon's not going to be guarding LeBron or, or, um, uh, or Kawhi, you know, maybe he's trying with Kawhi, but uh, you'd rather have Covington in those matchups. Like that sounds like an upgrade. That sounds like a big a kind of a PR win um, after a lot of hits uh, for the front office. I mean, I would be doing that for sure. The trick with Iguodala, man, it's just his contract is like a little bit too big, yeah, right? Yeah. Like if, if I was Milwaukee, I'd be protective of some of those young players that you're describing. It goes back to the Spurs days where like they would have these guys kind of in the pipeline and you just be constantly wondering like, when are they going to break out? When are they going to break out? Coach doesn't really trust them. Too many veterans getting all the minutes. And then they finally get to like that third or fourth season. And it's like, holy cow, these guys can really play. They know the system. They know the structure. They're plugging in because some, somebody got too old or too expensive and they had to part ways in free agency. So if I was Milwaukee, I would be looking to protect my young player assets as much as possible. And I would be mortgaging the future when it comes to draft picks because there's a real pressure here to build a winner around Giannis. And I think there should be some pretty good talent available in February. Well, I mean, the, the reality is as long as the Bucks have Giannis, you're expecting that whatever first round picks they have are going to be <laughs> very light. So uh, again, I mean, if that is... If that is what the asking price is, I mean, Covington clearly is a guy that uh, not only do you mention, would he make the Bucks better? Uh, you, you keep him away from some of these other teams and you're feeling pretty good about that. Uh, I, either way, 
Horst has definitely been a guy that you know he's he's ready to make moves. Uh, last year, the the two moves that he did make, obviously the George Hill trade, which uh, we haven't really mentioned George Hill, but leading the league in three point shooting, and uh, really that that Bledsoe insurance and a guy that played in the clutch minutes in the playoffs last year, uh, and then the Miritich trade. I think I think Horst is is working the phones pretty hard at the moment. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, it, they. You've just got to always be in that mode when your team is this good, right? I mean, you're because there's going to be teams out there that are just trying to dump a contract or dump a player, or like there's players who are going to be agitating to get out of uh, losing environments. And you know, if you go back five years, no one could have ever imagined that Milwaukee would be like a bandwagon destination for players, you know, trying to chase a title. Um, but it could be for sure, you know. Um, and you got to use that, to, you exploit that to your advantage. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Before you leave, though, I do want to ask, you mentioned that you're at the Zion game. Uh, <laughs> I was on the couch watching that, and it got to the point where I was like, well, I'm not all that surprised. This is, this is tough for him to come in. He's playing short bursts. Uh, I think that the expectations were, were so high on him that it, it always felt like you could potentially have a letdown game just because he's human. And then the 17-point burst in three minutes and eight seconds or whatever it was. What was that experience like being in the, in the building? To be honest, I think it was a humbling experience for me. I think I might care a little bit too much. I might be a little too <laughs> deranged, you know? Like, Zion is right there with Giannis for me as the guys who I respect and kind of value their approach almost more than anybody. I mean, what I look – I have this mantra I call total, total basketball, which is basically like, can you do everything there is to be done on a court? Is your entire life devoted to the sport? Is this what motivates you? Um, you know, do you have the mental side? Uh, along with the physical side, you know, and basically, uh, you know, trying to master all aspects of the game. And I think with Zion, like the athleticism stuff, just like with Giannis, it gets all of the attention. But we've seen incredible development from Giannis as a playmaker, as an offensive uh, leader, as a clubhouse leader, locker room leader, um, and even as a, a defensive, uh, you know, on ball, but also off ball helper as well. I mean, there's just been so many different areas where he's improved and where he's allowed his mind to kind of, uh, you know, take him to areas where he wasn't before. With Zion, the fourth quarter was such an incredible display of his mental strength. So many lesser players in that moment, after struggling for the first three quarters, after coming back for the first game, after three months away, after being passive and not really finding your rhythm, after being stuck in these little four-minute increment bursts because of your minutes limit, there were so many opportunities for him to check out, for him to say, you know what, tonight's not my night. There's all this media attention. I survived it. Oh, boy, I'm back on the court. There's going to be another game in 48 hours. Let's move forward. There were so many opportunities to uh, use excuses, and Zion went completely the other way. He said, I'm going to make this moment mine. If you're going to give me four three-pointers in a row, I'm going to make four three-pointers in a row. I'm going to send, uh, you know, uh, Jakob Pertl into outer space on a defensive <laughs> rebound. I'm going to finish a lob pass over the top of DeMar DeRozan in traffic. And I'm just going to be this relentless athlete that I am. I loved that response from him so much. I mean, look, I'm not the crying type, but, you know, he got a little misty in there seeing him <laughs> after, you know, some real adversity and a yep. lot of scrutiny, picking, people picking apart his body and everything else. For him to respond in that way, it was magic, man. It was a really, really memorable game. And I think from that standpoint, uh, I think it starts his tenure uh, in New Orleans off on the right foot. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was watching on the couch, but seriously, that was one of the more memorable moments. I'm going to remember watching the game. I know the LeBron game obviously was, was huge. I was I was pretty young back then, but uh, that was just that was just incredible. And I'm, I'm I'm very jealous that you were there. That would have been a whole lot of fun. But uh, I know I, I threw this at you really late. And I really appreciate you taking the time to to jump on with me and, and talk some bucks. Well, Kane, I got much love for you, much love for your show, Locked On Bucks, much love for Frank, and also much love for Australia, man. I hope everything is going on, you know, okay over there, and everyone that you know is in good health. And you know, we're obviously thinking of you over here as well. And um, you know, it's not to bring the the podcast to a screeching halt here on a, <laughs> on a down note, but. I encourage everybody out there donate some money if if, if you're able to, uh, because I mean some of these images are just heartbreaking and the animals and everything else. It really touches me. So um, all the best to you, man. No, I really appreciate that. It is it's it's crazy what's going on back there, but I do appreciate that. And for the Bucks, it's been a few days off. They're back Friday, two p.m. So hopefully a lot of you guys can get out of work and catch that one. A, a rare weekday afternoon game. But for Ben, Frank, and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll catch you guys next time.